for me. Hey, good morning, good afternoon or good evening, depending on when you're watching this edition of Hypnosis Week. As always, it's me. Uh, yes, me, the person who was born with the name Alex Williams-Smith. But just to confuse matters, he's better known as Jonathan Royal, the British bad boy of hypnosis from MagicalGuru.com. Anyway, that's enough about me. I'm excited to have another wonderful guest this week on Hypnosis Week, who um, in 2013 got a, was presented with a hip, was getting a new set of teeth, was presented with a Hypnosis Achievement Award. In 2016, he was presented with the Hypnotist of the Year Award, things I'll ask him about later. He's a motivational speaker. He's um, presented at every year's Hypno Thoughts Live, has been running in Las Vegas. Uh, he's got a background in magic, um, which obviously I myself also have, and a lot of people who follow this show have. He's also done stage hypnosis shows. He's also a consulting hypnotherapist. So all the areas we explore um, with different guests on this show, this gentleman has experience in all of them. So please welcome to the show, and he's going to kill me now if I pronounce this wrong. I probably will. But please welcome Michael C. DeChalet. Man, you nailed it the first time, Jonathan. That was amazing. You got the name right. Did I? You oh, did. Yeah, it was perfect. Hey, but wait a minute, though. I, I was I was told when I got this email that I was going to be on the Oprah show. You're not Oprah. What what happened? What's going on here? Well, that's all right. Well, nobody gets a car or a house today then. But uh, hey, man, thanks for having me on your uh, on your event here. I look forward to uh, spending some time with you today. This is this is exciting. For being here, for people who don't know your background, obviously we're recording this. I'm going to mention the date we're recording because these go out over the next weeks and whatnot. But just so that if people find it in years to come, they'll realise we both aged. It may look different by then, but it's the 20th of January 2020 as we record this. And you do, you have done all those things that I mentioned, but there would have been a time, maybe it was when you were a kid, I don't know, when you didn't do those things for a living and you had to start your journey to get to where you are now. So can you tell us, about your journey to get to where you are now from where you were before you were doing this stuff? Well, I'll, I'll make it as brief as possible. So I'll just mention all the highlights. So mm -hmm. uh, as a kid, I was always interested in magic. I remember watching Marshall Brodeen demonstrate the TV magic kits on Saturday afternoon cartoon commercials. And yeah. so I always wanted one of those kits. And I got one. I was, I was seven years old. I got a magic kit. And uh, it was really kind of fun because I was I did just kind of like sparked my interest in magic. I loved watching David Copperfield on TV. And it would piss me off because they would make like stuff vanish and I couldn't figure out how to do it. And I'm like, ah, I always want to learn more ma about magic. Well, then I think I turned eight and then forgot about all that stuff and just kind of went on with life. I got into music, uh, played in band. And, you know, after college, I, I always had a yearning for performing again, but there wasn't a big demand for solo trumpet players. I was a trumpet player. It's pretty good. But, you know, I guess I could put a can out on the street and play, you know, Mary had a little lamb or something and try to make make change. But um, so I was uh, I got a real job. I was sharing an office with another guy and and he goes, hey, can you watch the phones at lunch while I go to the magic store and buy a trick for my Sunday school class? And I went, whoa, there's a magic store here. I said, forget the phones. We don't need the business. Uh, so I, <laughs> that's really kind of what I said. And so uh, and so I went to the magic store and I bought uh, for those of you that do magic, you know what a hot rod is. The little six different color gemstones on one side and on the other side, you make them change colors. And I bought the trick for ten dollars. And then it became um, a, a, on a, I would say, an obsession to learn more magic, probably even qualifies for an addiction to learn more magic, because I think I spent all my spare time at the magic shop and probably all my spare money and, and, and then some at the magic shop. Well, after doing magic for about 10 years or so, uh, I had just purchased a brand new illusion and I picked it up from Air Cargo. It was sitting in the back of my truck. So you, you're doing and it professionally by then? I was doing it professionally by then, yeah. Oh, wow. So, okay, cool. So, and, and just for the record, my wife actually gave me permission to buy this new illusion. So for those of you magicians, okay. yes, you can hypnotize <laughs> your wife's and allowing you to buy big magic props. Uh, I don't know how it worked because I wasn't a hypnotist yet, but I just said things to her. And she said, okay, buy the trick. So I spent like, I think, seven grand on this trick. And, and it weighed 350 pounds. So I... I 
I was sitting in the driveway of my house. I, I called her. I said, come, come and help me unload this thing, and, and we can start rehearsing because we got a show in a couple weeks here. So so when I was waiting for her to come out, long story short, I went to the mailbox, and there was a magic magazine. I think it was the Society of American Magicians, MUM publication. Mm-hmm. And and it, there was a, I opened up the centerfold just to see what I was going to try to con. I mean, ask my wife if I could buy next. And and there was a it was a big ad that said, magicians. And I went, that's me. Are you tired of carrying those heavy props? I looked back at the truck and went, that's me. I just bought the thing and I'm already tired of carrying it. <laughs> Do you want to see the world and entertain people walking in with nothing but a briefcase? And I went, that's me. So it said, learn all the secrets of stage hypnotism by Orman McGill, Jerry Valley, and a host of other trainers, Tommy V, and a host of other people. That was and the so, Master's Ultimate Stage Hypnosis Seminar adverts, wasn't exactly, it? Exactly, exactly. And so so anyway, so uh, my wife came out by that point, and I said, look, honey, I showed her the ad. I said, look, I can become a stage hypnotist, and it's only, you know, and, uh, and, and she heard it loud and clear, even though I kind of, and uh, she said, well, that wouldn't be the first, you know, $1,500 you spent on something silly. So I took that as a very supportive yes. <laughs> So, uh, so I went to the training and I became a stage hypnotist and uh, with very heavy props. <laughs> and so, uh, so, so actually sort of the rest is history. That That's really the sort of the nuts and bolts of it. I started doing stage hypnosis shows and I still do some magic to this day. I love doing comedy magic. I sold all my illusions actually about a, uh, just under two years ago when I moved to Las Vegas because I downsized and they wouldn't fit in my garage. And quite honestly, I'm 54 now. I know I don't look it, but um, I don't want to carry all that heavy stuff around anymore. So I do comedy, comedy magic, but I also spend most of my time doing stage hypnosis shows. And uh, I think that's how your your path and my path cross somewhere along the lines. I don't know. Where during that journey did you um, get your hypnotherapy? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah, that's a really good question. So <clears throat> I completed the the. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, the master stage hypnosis training with uh, with uh, Orman and Jerry and Tommy and a host of other trainers. And I went out and did my first show two weeks after that. And get this, you're going to love this, Jonathan. I got booked by an agent who'd booked me for magic. He booked me to do a what? college a college sorority hypnosis show. Ooh. <laughs> so a hundred beautiful sorority girls right there is a hypnosis god and he was smiling down upon it. <laughs> so yeah yeah um so anyway so i went in and went and did that show and it worked out really well um <clears throat> i have a funny story about actually how it almost didn't work out really well if you want to hear that one later but anyways it worked out pretty well in the end and after the show two girls came up to me now granted these were these were beautiful sorority girls but i was also old enough to be their dad so it was a little awkward at that point um but so they they said we saw what you made those people do up there can you make us quit smoking and right then and there now again their language was a little bit off i didn't make anybody do anything merely just suggested right and uh although i would have liked to make them do a lot of things but anyways that's another story another time (laughs) we'll keep this pg-13 so anyways um so i uh in all sincerity i I thought to myself and as i went to answer their question i said well i'm not really qualified to do that but uh, I remembered what Orman and Jerry always said is, you know, try to refer them to somebody in your area if you don't know how to do what you're what they're asking you to do. So I referred him to another hypnotherapist. And I thought, well, you know what? First of all, I'm missing an opportunity to help somebody maybe change their life, if not save their life. But I'm also leaving some money on the table. Yeah. So I immediately signed up for a course in hypnotherapy and became certified. So it really wasn't too much longer after that. So I do that as well, too. And now I do it all virtually, kind of like what we're doing now on Skype or Zoom or any of the platforms. Yeah, I noticed that, that you've given talks in the past about being the virtual hypnotist. Um, yes. So let's go on to that briefly, and then we'll get back to the – I've made myself a note. If you see me look down, it's going to make it a note. Oh, good, 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 yeah. All right. To remind you. Um yeah, the virtual hypno thing is becoming the world is your lobster, so to speak, you, you, because you don't need to leave where you are and you can connect with people anywhere in the world. How for someone who perhaps for therapists out there that haven't moved into the technological era that we're now in, how does that work? And by that, I mean, both from a, what platform do you use? Uh, mm-hmm. And also what sort of safety considerations and sure. such like. 
Sure. Well, as far as transitioning, because I started off with an actual brick and mortar practice. So I had a lot of practice, you know, dozens of years as a hypnotist already. So the transition wasn't that hard for me. And, and I'll address these kind of one at a time. But let me talk about the technical aspects first. I use Zoom. Um, I don't use Skype anymore. I used to use Skype. I use Zoom. Uh, you can easily record the sessions. Uh, uh, there's some cool background backdrops you can put in there. And uh, so, you know, there's it's just it's just a fun, easy platform to use. All my all my system is automated. So if somebody goes to my website, they click, you know, for a free consultation, takes them to my scheduler. The scheduler then talks to Zoom and sets up the appointment for me, reminds me that I have Zoom meetings coming up, uh, also sends out a link to them so that they know which link to click when it's time for our consultation or our session. Uh, and, that's and then all also, yeah, all they all talk to each other. It's all done for me. It's all entirely automated. And then it also talks to PayPal. So when it comes time for you to move from a consultation to a session, you go back in, you schedule the time that you want to see me for stop smoking or whatever it is you want to see me for. It'll collect your payment for me. It'll actually even direct you to um, a form site where we can fill out your intake forms. Uh, and I don't really, essentially, if you skip the consultation, and you say, hey, I want to quit smoking. You go to my website, you sign up, you fill out the intake forms. I will physically not even see you until our session starts. So it's all automated for me, uh, which is very, very nice. And not have that expensive to do. the software for that? Or have you took something that was already existing and adapted it? Um, I actually, <clears throat> actually use something that's already in existence. But all the platforms work so well together that they do talk to each other and they oh. do automatically redirect to each other. So it, it really just fell in my lap. Um, I want to throw a shout out to uh, Michael Watson. He actually uh, taught me how to use Zoom for sessions. I took that class and then I learned how to, I took it one step further because, you know, as a magician, as you get this, we're totally, totally uh, obsessive compulsive and everything that we do. So, if I learn something, I like to try to take it up six or seven notches above that just because that's what we do. And so yeah. that's what I did. I took it to the next level and automated the whole thing. Really is not hard to do. Uh, I claim to be the virtual hypnotist. There's others out there that do this. I don't want to be that that guy that says I'm the only one. But as far as the safety concerns, I'm glad you brought that up. There really isn't any that I've found. Um, the only real differences between doing a session online like this and doing it in person is I can't shake your hand when you walk in the office. I can't do any physical touch modalities, uh, which I didn't do anyways. I didn't really want to touch my clients. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so I didn't, I didn't really do any of that. So I didn't lose anything with that. Um, some of the testing, pre-testing that you would do with a client, you know, suggestibility or subtest. Sub sub mm. Now I'm now it's happening to me too. I've lost my front teeth. Mm. Susceptibility testing, anything like that. Uh, you know, you have to just alter that. And I'll do magnetic fingers or something that I don't doesn't require me to be too physical with them or for them to be too physical on a camera. And uh, you can even get away with arms rising and falling too. Uh, you can get away with that test as well, as long as they back up a little bit and you can see them and they can see you. Really not much different. Uh, and here's the reality, Jonathan. I, I totally appreciate the big buildup you gave me about, you know, virtual hypnosis. Um, the bottom line is when I relocated from Arizona to Nevada to Las Vegas about just under two years ago, um, I was too cheap to get an office here. That's it. That's why I decided to go virtual. Right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Now, now, I actually do have an office now, however. So and I think you're going to be speaking with one of my colleagues, uh, Dr. Richard Nongard. I interviewed Richard the other day. Yeah. Oh, good. And okay. um, I'm going to be speaking to him again in a couple of weeks with a view to uh, sorting something out for later in 2020 to come back to Vegas. I've not been in Vegas since uh, end of 2013, I think it was. Oh, OK. Yeah, sure. Uh, sure. Yeah. Yeah, so so he and he and I he and I and a couple other guys share an office together now. But let's be clear for all of our viewers at home, I am the better looking one of the two of us. I uh, just thought I'd mention that because nobody else will in this interview. So just want to throw that out to you, my friend. Yeah. Excellent. Um, well, in terms of the online virtual stuff, uh, does your intake form do it, or your pre um, your website advertising? Tell them about things like you know. Um, make sure you 
phone switched off. Make sure you've got a chair that if you were to yep. become deeply relaxed that you're not going to fall off. Right, Make sure your right. dog's locked in the garage. You know, How do yep. you deal with those things? Absolutely. I go through all those things with them in the consultation and, and before we began hypnosis in that first session. You know, if you have a recliner that has big fluffy arms so you can't fall out of it, or if you do recline, that makes it even safer because then you can't fall out of it. Um, also, I've had some clients, you know, do the session lying in their own bed or on a couch. Um, and, and as you know, as well as I do, I think no matter how deeply the client goes, they kind of ultimately know if they're falling or, you know, most of the time they can catch mm. yourself. I've never had it happen. However, I did have, when I was very first starting out, um, I had an interesting situation and uh, I was hypnotizing a female truck driver, a trucker, as we would call them in the state. So she was hauling stuff across the country. She had a driving partner. And so we did sessions while she was on the road. Oh, and she, I know. Yeah. Now, now I know. Yeah. And, but here's the funny thing about it. Um, so she would be sitting in the passenger seat of the cab of this big semi truck on satellite connectivity. So all that, and her driving partner would just put his earbuds in. And so he would listen to his music. So he wasn't hearing any of our conversation. Oh, right. Okay. That answers yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The earbud, the earbuds are really makes the whole difference, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise she'd be yeah yeah so but but the funny part was i i told her because she had asked and we joked about it i said well she says what happens if we get disconnected i said well you'll probably die then uh, i don't know it's never you could die you could die i mean maybe you'll never wake up you'll never be able to drive your truck again and of course i was just kidding with her and she goes yeah she knew i was kidding and yeah. so uh one day we're doing a session we lost connectivity. I, we always had an out. I would call her back on the phone and we'd reconnect. And, you know, it just that happens with your when you're using virtual sessions, technology, technology fails. And so um, so we always had a caveat. We always had a plan. So I, I couldn't call her back. She, she wasn't responding to her phone. And then she wasn't calling me back. And I thought, oh, crap, she died. And uh, so uh, maybe maybe it's true. She died. And so about two hours later, she called me back and she goes, I bet you thought I died, huh? And I, well, I did, actually. Uh, but uh, she goes, well, we just lost all kinds of connection. We, we I couldn't get satellite phone to work. I couldn't get signal. We were in Arkansas someplace in the hills. And so I'm back at my hotel now. We just picked up right where we left off. So it's kind of a funny little story. But, you know, it, you just – the better you set up your session, the better the results. And just like in sales, and you have done a lot of it, and so have I, when's the best way to handle an objection before it becomes one? And uh, and so just handle all those things in your pre-talk so you don't really have safety issues. Excellent. Well, um, what would you say? I mean, obviously, you've done a lot, a lot of this virtually, so, so, so you'll be able to gauge against what you did previously. Obviously, you've got the missing element. You can see the people and you can hear them. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're physically in a room with somebody, I don't want to get winky wanky arty farty tree hugging you agey fight because I don't believe mm-hmm. in a lot of that stuff. But I do believe that there's almost an, an energy. You know, you can walk in a room and you can tell if there's been a route, an argument going on or you can just sure. In the same way, you can feel like the intent of the therapist, he, he believes he's going to be able to help you type thing. That It's not as easy to transmit, is it, just over a screen? Yeah, it's a little bit a little bit harder to transmit those emotions, those feelings, that intuitive sense. Uh, and again, I, I don't I don't claim to be a psychic or an intuitive, but I think after a while, um, it goes back to kind of that rapport building process with the client. You build a good set of, you know, skills with them and, and you build rapport, you're in rapport and you gain trust with them. You actually do start feeling those same things through the screen. Um, I, I think there is that you can express empathy and feel empathy and sympathy and all those things. It, it just takes a little bit more work to do. I would say that would be the hardest part of the job doing virtual sessions is you you do have to focus and concentrate a lot more to feel those same emotions and feelings and that same connectivity. But but it's not impossible. Uh, I think it's all how you set up rapport with them and you build a strong rapport with your clients and guess what? It'll happen. It'll just happen naturally. How do you handle, God forbid it happens, but how do you handle 
how have you handled or how would you handle, depending on which is the relevant, mm -hmm. sure. uh, an emergency occurring? Because obviously if you had somebody in your office and they suddenly had a, say, epileptic fit, sure. you no mm -hmm. doubt know from first aid training if they fell off the chair to approach them from the rear, put your hand under the head, tilt sure. them, keep your fingers away from the mouth, but make sure they don't choke type thing. Obviously you can't do that if you're not physically in the room with them. Right, right. And so, and that's a great question because yeah, and, and I've not had it happen. I, I did have a client who suffered from epileptic seizures. And so again, I think it was sort of just talking about that ahead of time. Most clients know their limitations. And by that, I mean, they, they kind of know their own physical well-being mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and, or an ab reaction even could happen too. And, yeah. you know, sometimes if you're doing like regression work, you actually inspire ab reactions. I don't do a lot of regression work. So, and the clients that I've decided to specialize in see, usually I don't get any really negative emotions coming out of it other than maybe a little bit of anger and a little bit of sadness, but nothing that's going to inspire anything that's a huge ab reaction or even hysterical reaction at that point. Um, Cause I'm working with peak performers now and usually just getting them unstuck and moving on to higher levels uh, or self-confidence issues, getting them unstuck and moving on to higher levels. But yeah, I, if, you know, in my intake with the client, I usually ask them, you know, is there anything that I need to be aware about that I can't handle because I'm not in the same room with you? And they usually say, well, yeah, you know, I, I pass out all the time or, uh, you know, uh, or you know, that's like, OK, we need to have a conversation about that. Then uh, is there somebody else around that's in the same, maybe not in the same room, but in the house with you that maybe you could just leave your door cracked. And if they don't hear you talking for a while or me talking for a while, then to come in and check on you. It's not going to bother me. Um, and it's certainly not going to bother you again, just like when you're doing a stage show, any sounds you hear in the audience are not going to bother you, um, help you to go deeper, you know? Yeah. So even if somebody even if your husband came in to check on you, just know that it's your husband coming in to check on you. So that'll help you to go deeper in hypnosis. Um, so, and again, you always build in, you know, some caveats, you know, if they are having an ab reaction, you have a safe place for them to go and, you know, all the therapeutic things that you would do as a, as a normal safeguard. Yeah, excellent. Um, well, um, oh, I had a really good question then. Mm, it will come back on the count of three. One, two, three. Yes. Wide awake, wide awake, wide awake, wide awake. Whenever I'm teaching anyone, even a therapy, I tell them that in this day and age, I recommend that everybody in their office when they're physically being visited, have effectively a webcam that's recording so they can store it on an external hard drive. So you can get hundreds of hours of client sessions on an external hard drive that to stick with GDPR regulations, data protection gets locked in a, you know, a safe place. Um, but to protect you as the therapist, that's why I give that advice so that male or female therapists cannot be accused of doing something they haven't done. Now, obviously, Absolutely. with virtual sessions, I know you couldn't physically abuse anyone. Sure. So them trying to accuse you of that would be kind of pretty pointless because. But do you record sessions because uh, the online sessions, because you could be accused maybe of having done something inappropriate, even though you're not sure. able to physically touch them? Yep. Great question again on that one, too. Yeah, because that's, that has always been a concern. When I had a physical office, I had a, uh, you know, for nothing more than just recording a physical contact, I have, I had a security camera behind me and the recording was pressed and I saved it on a disc and that went in a locked file cabinet every session I ever saw, every client I ever saw. Um, with doing the Zoom or the Skype sessions, there's ways to record the session and I do record a reaction for that very reason. Um, just because you don't want to be accused of doing anything inappropriate or even saying anything inappropriate, um, or even sometimes on a rare occasion, a client would come back to you and say, you know, I'm not really sure what happened. I felt like I was moving around on that session and, or I felt anxious and we could review the recording then and say, yeah, it was right here that 
that you started to have a little bit of a tremble. And we were talking about that one time where something happened to you. And, and so we can review that too. Um, very rarely does, do they ask to see the recording because I usually tell them it's the most boring recording you'll ever see. Um, you're sitting there with your eyes closed and you hear me talking. It's like really not a popcorn kind of eating movie. So, uh, so you know, if you did want to see it, though, I can have it and make it accessible to you. Uh, but that's a great point, though. Yeah, because, yeah, we do live in a litigious society. And when I set up my Zoom sessions, it automatically starts recording the second we log on. Excellent. So it's from the time we start to the time I hit end session. And if anyone was to claim that they ended up feeling, I don't know, they went to a therapist to sort the folder and then they suddenly, for whatever reason, felt depressed and decided they wanted to blame the therapist and take a lawsuit. You, right, you've right. got the recording there, haven't you? I mean, you've got the perfect, this is what I did, and it ties in with all accepted conventional ethics protocols and stuff, and it, it cover you. Sure, sure. Yeah, and, and as far as saving those recordings, too, because you did ask about this, mm. um, you have two options in Zoom. You can save them to the cloud, uh, which I'm pretty sure is secure where they save them to. However, I prefer to save them to my hard drive. Uh, I dump them on an external hard drive, and down, then I know it's secure. Yeah. Um, and so that way, it's not to the cloud. Uh, uh, I don't. I don't necessarily want anything there. Um, it's easier for me just to save it. It saves it in an MP4 file, so I can dump it right onto an external hard drive and save it that way. Throw it in a safe, and that way nobody can get to it. Excellent. Um, I mean, that that's if anyone who hasn't done sessions online in the past. Watch, I always say watch these when we finish, get a pen and paper and watch again and take notes because there's lots and sure. lots of information just been just been in that bit. So let's go off on one entirely now and jump across to book back on briefly your stage hypnosis hat. Sure. I've got a note here that I've got to ask you about how it nearly didn't work. The Sorority Girl show, the first one that you did, turned out well, but it nearly didn't. Yes. Okay. So my very first show, two weeks after I'd finished the the, the stage training, uh, and again, having been a magician, I felt comfortable on stage. And you know, as a magician, you're you the likelihood of having prop malfunction is great, um, especially if you're dealing with livestock or animals or birds. You know, look, I produce a bird. Look at it fly away now. Oh, well, it wasn't supposed to happen. Uh, but you know, and you play it off as look, it's free now. It happened. Uh, so. You can have those things happen in a stage hypnosis show quite easily because you're dealing with, you know, 12 or 15 or however many volunteers you have. You're dealing with other people and you cannot control them sometimes. Mm. So here's what I did. I did a perfect pre-talk. I got it. If I say so myself, it was a perfect pre-talk. And I did a just a great induction, sort of a little hybrid Jerry Valley Orman McGill induction. It was perfect. And I get to the point where all the volunteers um, are, you know, I'm, I'm counting down and I'm very theatrical now because I was a magician. And so I got all the way down to zero and I said, sleep. And I did the hand thing like David Copperfield. One finger's a little lower than the others and it looks mysterious. And sleep. And all their heads went. And they even fell deeper into hypnosis. And then a girl in the audience hiccuped. Oh. And then two girls around her giggled and then all other 90 girls in the audience started giggling and then every one of my 12 volunteers did this they got up out of their chairs and they went back to the audience and sat in their seats now at this point in time um i had what would you would consider a mild case of hysteria internally <laughs> yeah. I I crapped my pants <laughs> and so because I realized what I, I'd done in my perfect 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 uh, pre-talk and instructions and all that so I didn't mention that hey you know any sounds you hear won't bother you uh, just focus on me and you know that and and I also did not mention that if you feel like you're coming out of hypnosis let me properly excuse you don't just go back to your seat in the audience those yeah. two little minor things that I forgot to mention so now my agent that booked me for the show was standing off to the side. He was actually running sound for me. Uh, and and he looks at me and I look at him and he could probably see the look of fear in my face, mm-hmm. although I was trying to disguise it. Uh, and he's like looking at me like, okay, 
what are you going to do now, Einstein? And so I looked at the audience and, and I don't know where this came from, Jonathan. I have no idea if it was divine intervention or if I have just really good verbal Tourette's. Yeah. And uh, but I said, well, ladies, what you just saw was an example of how easy it is to go into hypnosis. So now we're going to fill these chairs one more time. and We're going to do the show for real. And so I, I have no idea where that came from. I'm not that good. Honest to God, I'm not that good. I think it was fear and everything just kind of came out all at once. And so I, I said, so who would like to volunteer to be in the show? And 11 of the 12 hands went up from the girls that were up there. And then one girl. So by now I'm feeling pretty good because I'm going to yeah. save this thing. Right. So one of the girls said, can we can we volunteer to be in the show again? I said, well, normally I wouldn't allow you to do that. But. I'm going to make an exception this time. Now, why wouldn't I allow that? They're pre-hypnotized. I mean, all I had to do was say sleep. But yeah, but I just want, I wanted to make it theatrical at this point. <laughs> I was getting a little cocky. And so, and so I had 11 of the 12 girls come back up. I had a newbie come up. I did a little bit faster of an induction. Um, still did a little bit of an induction for the other girl who hadn't been induced the first time. And after the show, and pulled off a great show after that. After the show was great after that. Excellent. But it almost fell apart really bad. And uh so, and unfortunately, well, fortunately and unfortunately, I brought my dad to the show with me too. He was going to run the video camera. Unfortunately, he forgot to press record. So uh, <laughs> he was caught up in the moment, I guess. And so we have no video of the show. Uh, it's locked up here in my mind forever as a bad nightmare. And the agent after the show came up to me and he goes, you know, he goes, man, that was, that was a great show. He goes, uh, uh, he didn't know it was my first show either. And so he goes, uh, that was a great show. He goes, I've seen a lot of hypnotist shows and I've never seen him do like a practice run through like that. And so I looked at him and I said, eh, I do all my shows that way. And I turned around and I walked away. <laughs> and then I cried when I got to my car. <laughs> well, there's a very yeah. important lesson within that. And, yeah. the, you know, you as the hypnotist, whether it's stage or therapy, might know you've tripped up on your words, done something wrong. But the audience members or the volunteers on stage or the client in the consulting room doesn't know unless you tell them. Right. Exactly. Um, and yeah, excellent. They just assume if as long as you like that completely yeah. normal. This is yeah, don't 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 panic. They don't know what you're supposed to say or do anyways. So um and, and yeah, it's just it's, if you panic, um, that's where you get into trouble. And also, too, I think just having proper training and, and being prepared, rehearse before you go into a situation. You know, I remember rehearsing even to see clinical clients, too, um, because there is a flow to this. And the more you do it, it gets easier. But if you don't know how to do it, you've never done it. Practice with somebody. You know, practice with a trusted friend or a colleague or talk to other colleagues, you know, figure out a roadmap here. What are you going to do? And if you rehearse that and I remember practicing hypnotizing my pillows on my couch and just just to get the pattern down, if nothing more, and learn where to stand and learn where to walk and all those things. Um, and it'll it'll pay dividends in the long run. Yeah, you'll naturally sound more confident and they'll pick up on sure. the intent in your voice. Yeah. Um, excellent. Okay, I'm going to throw this one at you. Um, and I've asked, I, I asked Richard Nongard the same thing and I've asked Jim Zellis uh, okay. the same question. I'm not, all stage hypnotists get the same question. To be honest, therapists are getting the same question, but just in the context of hypnotherapy. So stage hypnosis-wise, personally... It's my genuine, sincere belief. Um, it didn't used to be years ago, but after 30 years of doing stage shows, it's my belief there's no such thing as people being hypnotised on stage. There are a bunch of attention-seeking fuckwits, as I call it, who some of them may delude themselves and end up believing they've been hypnotised, but in truth, it's just that we give them an, a perfect excuse to be able to make a fool of themselves and not get the blame because they can say the hypnotist made me do it or I couldn't stop myself. Um, you know, it's, I believe it's just social compliance and the environment uh, it is, if you like, it's a trick just like ma magic, except the big secret is 
uh, from my viewpoint, and then we'll see what your take on this is, is if you've got an audience of, say, 1,000 people and 20 people on stage, I would argue that as close as if hypnosis does exist, it's about belief change. Mm -hmm. In which case, I believe the 20 people on stage deep down know they've got the perfect excuse to make a fool of themselves. But the 1,000 people in the audience, all right, you'll have the odd skeptic, but the vast majority of them end up seeing what they believe hypnosis to look like occurring. So they believe you've hypnotized people. So I think what we actually do, if we do hypnotize anyone, it's the audience into believing that something special has gone up on on stage when really people have just got the perfect excuse to do what they want. Wow, that's an interesting concept. That's an interesting theory. I like that. Um, and, and, you know, God, there's so many different directions to go with this. I'll, I'll try to put it together to make sense. Um, having recently just volunteered to be in a show myself, um, I will tell you, I've been doing stage for, I don't know, 17, 18 years now, something like that. Um, but I, I'm not a good stage subject because I'm a little bit of a control freak. I like to watch the show. However, I think it's a duty of every stage hypnotist to volunteer to be in a few shows so they can feel it from the volunteer's point of view. Um, at least, you know, at least once in their life, if not dozens of times. And so I was watching a stage hypnosis show here in Las Vegas and and volunteers were slowly trickling up to the stage. And I can see that the hypnotist, you know, might have had a light panel. So I decided, you know, I'm going to volunteer. And I was with a couple other hypnotists and they volunteered. And um, and I, I would say that up until about the last year, I would never make it as a volunteer through an entire show. I would usually I'd make it through the induction. I go into hypnosis. I love hypnosis. I go deep into hypnosis. I can respond to maybe the first or second routine, and then I usually pop out. Well, this show, I made it through the whole show. Okay. And uh, I made it through very deep, actually. I actually became one of those volunteers that slides out of their chair and ends up on the floor with his head on the chair. Mm -hmm. I became that guy. And, and it wasn't... You know, it wasn't though I was so deep, I lost all physical control and I really knew I was, I was actually having the same discussion we're having now in my head. Is this just a license for me to really let go or am I deeply hypnotized? Gee, I wonder what the audience thinks. If they knew I was a hypnotist, how would they think of me now responding like I am in this show? So I was having somewhat of a conscious subconscious conversation with myself on the same topic. So, I, 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 you know, and again, I think that's an interesting theory that are we hypnotizing the audience to believe in what they're seeing? Are we hypnotizing the volunteers and are they really going into hypnosis? Or are we just giving them a license to, like you said, you know, let go? Um, I like what Richard Nongard says about um, hypnosis in general that, you know, can anybody get stuck in hypnosis? We had a debate about this and he goes, well, yes, because we're all in hypnosis all the time. Mm. Ah, okay. I, I can't argue that. Um, you know, can somebody get really stuck in it, in hypnosis, like at a high school show afterwards when they really just want to get attention? I doubt that. Okay, they know what they're doing. So there's there's that. Uh, that's a wow. This is like a 12 hour webinar we're going to have to do to solve this one. Um, this 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 is like a whole convention. Let's face it, there is no right or wrong, and, and the truth of the matter. Exactly. Is, you know, I don't. I, that's an interesting thought. I, I just you know what. You're right. Mob mentality, compliance comes into play. I think as stage hypnotists, ethically, well, or at least morally, we have a moral code to try to weed out anybody who's faking um, because we do want it to be we want our art form to be as true to the art form as possible. But I'm certain that there are times that people are up there that maybe they're not intentionally faking, but they're not as deep in hypnosis as maybe they look. And so maybe it's just compliance. Maybe they feel the person next to them playing an electric violin, and so they join in too. Um, so, yeah, well, that's... Kreskin yeah. into the mix. Um, for anyone who doesn't know, there's a guy, the amazing Kreskin. If you search mm -hmm. Google, you'll see. Sure. He's been around yeah. forever and a day. He's like 90, isn't he, or something nearly. Um, and he did a mind-reading, mentalist-type mm -hmm. act. But also, he was what any he did what anyone as an observer would call stage hypnosis, hypnotizing sure. people, telling them to do things. Mm -hmm. 
In fact, if you type Kreskin, the power of suggestion into YouTube, I'm pretty certain there's a still a TV show on there where he's doing all the stuff, sticking them to the floor. They can't get out the chairs. They can't say the next stuck the stocking trade stuff of a stage hypnotist. And then he categorically tells them all that none of them have been hypnotized. Hypnosis does not exist. There's no such thing as a so-called hypnotic trance state. And he offers, uh, I think it was $10,000, but at one time I think it went up a lot more than that, to anyone who could prove otherwise. Um, and he has taken on the certain states in America, there certainly were, where stage hypnosis wasn't allowed. Right. Um, and he's gone there and done his shows blatantly saying, I'm going to do a demonstration of what you call hypnosis, but try and stop me because I'll prove in court it doesn't exist. And yeah. he has had legal cases and he's won every time. Yeah. Now, to me, yeah. that says there's, le there's legal precedent that hypnosis is bullshit. Yeah, it's um, boy, it's definitely this. This is a whole convention right here. We should get a bunch of hypnotists together, have a convention, no, and this be the only people. topic that we debate. Yeah. It still entertains people over here. Oh, sure, and yeah. It still helps yeah. them make changes in their life. Uh huh. Definitely. And if people get entertained, how's it matter how it happens? And if people change their life for the better, how's it matter how or why it really happened? But the weight of evidence is stage hypnosis-wise, it, it's bullshit. Hypnosis doesn't right. exist. Otherwise, Kreskin wouldn't have won his court cases, would he? Right. Um, I wonder. I wonder. Now, let's let's play with this a little further. What if it was a genetic des uh, a genetic disposition? If okay, so you have a certain color hair. I have a certain color hair. That's genetic. Okay. So what if it was a genet? What if, what if one of the genetic dispositions is that in the course of your life, Jonathan? When it comes to hypnosis, you go to this level of depth or you are in this level of depth through your whole life. And then I, on the other hand, might go deeper or shallower in that level of depth that I either enter into hypnosis, a state, a trance state, or that I am from the time I first take my first breath, I'm in a trance state and remain in that trance state my whole entire life. But I can only go this far, just like I can only jump so high because I wasn't on the basketball team. I was in the marching band uh, and I'm not very athletic uh, or just like I was genetically disposed to have brown eyes and not blue ones. So I wonder I wonder if it's maybe even before we're I mean, we're thinking about now. What if we thought back all the way to the very beginning? We are all each of us individually genetically disposed to be at a certain trance depth our entire life from the first breath to the final breath. Was that way too deep? No, I think there's a lot of truth <laughs> in that. Um, no, I definitely think there is a lot of truth in that because, you know, if we take away the word hypnosis and maybe just substitute suggestion and belief, suggestion mm -hmm. and belief, instead of the okay. word hypnosis, that can be we know what suggestion is. Uh, and beliefs of something people believe. So if we take those two things, everybody, everything they do in life, whether it's working, they have certain beliefs connected to uh, the social life, they have certain beliefs connected to. We manipulate, definitely stage hypnotists, hypnotherapists, clearly work with beliefs, yeah. And we mm -hmm. can manipulate people to believe sure. that they've been in some special state but when you look at it, there's nothing there's nothing that we as stage hypnotists do or, or therapists for that matter that can't happen naturally in society or people can't do of their own accord. Sure. Um, but that, I mean, that's not to devalue what we do because people obviously like to be entertained and change their life. But it, it, Therapeutically, let's flip, flick over to that a minute, because my concept on therapy is that, again, I think that deep down, they may not consciously be aware, but deep down, they have decided that they could change. But they probably mm -hmm. run the scenario through the back of their mind when they've been asleep, maybe, assimilating things. And they probably run the scenario of, Let's say they were 
a smoker, bumping into someone who knew them, and that person suddenly going, Dave, we've, we've been in this bar now, you know, for like an hour, and you've not gone outside for a, a cigarette. What's going on? And Dave goes, well, that's because I've stopped smoking. And the mate goes, well, when did you do that? Oh, about two months ago now, you know, just after I last saw you. So the mate goes, well, if was it, you know, difficult? And Dave goes, no, it was dead easy. I just decided to stop. And the mate goes, well, in which case, Dave, why were you wasting money for so many years, damaging your health? Why didn't you stop sooner if it was that bloody easy? Or it might be family and friends that say that to them to a point where they end up, maybe it happens at an unconscious level, relapsing and starting to smoke again because then they can say, look, it wasn't that easy. Whereas if they go and see somebody like your good self or another therapist, they can leave the office and say, oh, yeah, Dave, I, I have stopped. And when they say, well, why didn't you do it soon? They say, well, I didn't. I, I tried, but it didn't work. But then I went to see this great guy, Mike, Michael, and he, he hypnotized me and I left his office and now I don't have any cravings. And it removes all that self-blame, shame, guilt and regret from them for not having got off their arse and made those changes themselves sooner. Right, right. Yeah, that that is interesting, too, because now you can apply that back to stage hypnosis and, yeah. and even kind of question, you know, somebody who wants to volunteer to be in the show so bad, are they going to be more compliant or hypnotized than somebody who just goes up because his friends are going, go up there, go up there, we want to see you hump a chair or something. Um, so, you know, that's interesting because with, with my clients, and I think, you know, depending on how you approach therapy or hypnotherapy, my clients, I try to get them to be to the want state where they want to do this. Mm -hmm. Now, most of my clients that don't want to do this, 99.9999% of them, if they don't really want to do it, I'll, I'll definitely weed them all out during the consultation because, you know, yeah, I'm coming here just to prove to my wife that this is stupid and it won't work. Yeah. You know, and, and those are the obvious ones that you just don't see as clients. Um, Cause I don't, you know, I'm, I'm fundamentally lazy. I don't need that kind of challenge. I can find an easier client to work with that wants to change and it'll be more fulfilling for both of us. Uh, but, but I think though that, you know, getting them to that want state where they want to make the change. And most of them, like you said, are already there. And like, like the example you gave, he didn't want to up until two months ago. Mm. That's what, that's what the change was is he finally decided it was his choice. He wanted to not societies or his wives or his friends or his family. Um, and I think that again is kind of goes, if somebody says, well, you know, Jonathan, you should stop doing this. And, and then you say, well, I don't want to stop doing this. I like doing this, whatever this is. Um, but then one day you change your mind. You don't want to do that anymore. Well, I think morally or our own set of standards, when somebody says you, you should do this and you don't want to stop doing that. And you, you kind of, you put up a defense, you fight. It's like the fight and flight freeze. I think you fight and you resist. And then at one, when one day you wake up and you go, you know, I do want to make this change. I do want to be a different person. You no longer fight. You no longer flee. You just allow yourself to freeze and make the change. Um, so maybe that's part of it. I don't know. These are, these are, um, these are like deep thought questions, Jonathan. You, I must admit, I think I'm going to quit hypnosis now because you've made me question my very uh, existence in all of this now. Does it real? I, am I been a charlatan all these years? <laughs> I'm going to go do magic now. Because at least all, that's all that matters. Uh, you know, you've that, that, and, and you know what? That's really truly that that statement right there. I got to interrupt you. That statement is so true. That's all that matters. It doesn't matter if you use you know this technique or that technique. Um, it, do, are you using techniques that are client centered? Does the client or volunteer, uh, whichever the case may be, do they facilitate the change that they want? You know, is that is that ha does, has that happened? Yeah, it doesn't matter if you use this induction or that induction. Heck, I think if you're a good enough hypnotist, well, no, let me let me take that back. I think if the client really wants to. You can take a dead chicken and go shaka laka laka shaka laka laka shaka laka laka and wave it over their head and all of a sudden they're a non-smoker. Yeah. Expect expectation, I guess, is what it boils down to, really. So, yeah. but 
Yeah, I am going to quit the industry now, though, because you've made me question my own existence now. Thank you so much. It's been a great run. Ooh, I'd like to shout it out. <laughs> I think I'm going to take up something else now. That I'm going to take up something else that maybe somebody like you doesn't question so much and make me think about what I'm doing. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, that's okay. It's okay. You why'd, you get out of the, why'd, so, so, why'd you get out of the industry? Jonathan Rowe made me. That's why. <laughs> please no. Please no. No, I would say that. I would say that. You mentioned before that you weed out the clients who are not truly ready for sharing. Sure. Are not sure. innocent. Now, I'm a great believer. You see, you see these people in the therapy world, and they're addicted to going on course after course to learn this new, faster, works more often technique. And I always think, yeah. if you're wanting to increase your success rate. Mm-hmm. Just work with better clients. Yeah. Filter out the ones that it's not going to work on, whatever technique you're currently using, because it's not the technique. Sure. It, it's quite often it's like you just said, filtering out people who are not truly ready. I think too many people are too, certainly in England, um, I see it a lot. Therapists too, they're struggling to pay the bills. Mm-hmm. They might be a really good therapist, and a lot of them are. But sadly, they don't know, well, they know very little about marketing, advertising, publicity, promotion. So they're, des- they're in a desperation state where they, I don't think they're filtering the clients through properly because they need the money. Um, obviously, marketing is key. What would you say about marketing in this day and age? Because obviously, the virtual hypnotist, the world's your oyster, practically. Yeah. Yeah. And that brings in the whole new arena of online Mm. marketing. Well, and you know what? As far as marketing goes, I am no marketing guru. That is for sure. I've proved that over the years. Uh, My money spent on foolish methods of trying to get more business and more clients. And what I found, though, and and, and again, I don't want to sound snooty when I say this or all inclusive, I do still spend money on marketing. I do post things. I do run ads. I do all those things as well. I think it's important to try to cover all your bases. But the majority of my clients, especially in hypnotherapy, are from referrals. And and again, it goes back to what you said. It doesn't matter about the method. It matters about the results. Yes. And if you get the results, then people are going to tell other people about you. Um, and I think that's, you know, obviously the highest compliment is a referral. Um, you know, and it may be right away. They may go, well, you quit, you helped me quit smoking and I got my neighbor. He's ready to do it too. He was just waiting to see if it worked on me. So I'm going to send it to you or 10 years down the road. They, they have somebody that they work with or run into and they go, you know, I used this hypnotist 10 years ago. And, uh, if he's still in business, you should find him because he cares and he wants you to be successful. So I think, you know, word of mouth referrals, asking for the referrals, is really my number one source of business. And that even incorporates stage shows too. Yeah. Uh, if I do a good job, um, then they're going to tell other people about me and other schools about me or colleges about me, I think, you know, but you can't just rely on that though too. You do have to, you do have to do all the other stuff. You got to send out postcards. You got to send out emails. You've got to spend money on Facebook ad campaigns. You've got to have a great website. You got to do all those things. I think it really just is, a little bit of this and a little bit of that it adds up to a lot of this and a lot of that. Repetition, persistence. Persistence, repetition. Um, that that's I think it true. You know, frequency. Uh, I, I I forgot who said this, and I wish I could remember so I'd give them proper cred, credit. And maybe it wasn't even them that originated this, but I think it was uh, one of the professional athletes. He said something like, "I prefer not to have a plan B. I just don't ever give up on plan A." You know, something to that effect. And that's that persistence thing that you that you alluded to is if you keep doing it, people eventually will probably just pay you just to shut you up, if nothing more. I mean, they'll pay you just because they've seen you enough yeah. and and, and they're, they're seeing that you're consistent and you're doing this. And that has a lot to do with it, too. And that just unfortunately takes time, it takes mm-hmm. time to build up that reputation of consistency. Well, that segue is very nicely because you made mention of um, being an athlete to, to mention that. So it segues beautifully mm-hmm. into the fact that you mentioned earlier that you do mostly now kind of peak performance stuff with uh, sure. mm-hmm. people. Can you tell us a little bit about what it is you do peak performance-wise? Because a lot of therapists, their main stocking trade is going to be smokers, mm-hmm. weight, phobias, anxiety, that kind of thing. 
And they yeah. might think, you know, wouldn't it be great if I could break into helping sports people or business people? people? What, what's it kind of entail? Um, a, cu- a couple things, a couple quick things that I that I try to assess right off the bat is, first of all, I, I know that everybody at any point in their time and in, in their life has a deficiency somewhere. OK, so one day, you know, or, or for most of your life, you might have been afraid to speak to large groups of people. And then all of a sudden, you know, your boss says, hey, you're in charge of this year's presentation at the at the corporate you know, sales meeting. So you got to do it. Otherwise, you know, eh, lose your job. You get up there and you do it. You find out you like it. You no longer have that deficiency. Or maybe one, you know, maybe one day after years of speaking to a large group of people, you all of a sudden you get shy and embarrassed and you can't do it anymore. You get a fear of it or something. And so I think at any given point in time in our life, we all are deficient in some area. In other words, nobody's perfect. Yeah. Um, so I try to figure out what the deficiency is that they're having at that moment in time that they're stuck. And again, most of the clients I see are just stuck. I'm never going to coach a basketball player on how to shoot better basketball free throws. Again, and most of the time, I don't even know what the terms are. Um, you know, God forbid I ever get anybody who plays cricket. I won't know what okay. the hell to say. Uh, you say you're never going to coach them on how to do better basketball throws in that example. Yeah. Do you not, because um, you know, the, do you not like mentally have them rehearse it? You know, the visualization, yes. doing it again and again and again, because there's everything yes. that mental, the mind doesn't know the difference between rehearsed or real. So if they see themselves. Sure. Yes. Yep. Yep. But I'm never going to say move your hand this way on the ball because I don't know that that right. works out better for them. I'll give you a perfect example where I went to college. Um, uh, University of Arizona, there was a uh, basketball player there that in the last five, six, seven years, maybe, uh, every time he went up to the free throw line, he would do the bounce, 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 bounce. You know, they all do a certain number of bounces. And, you know, they're just going through their ritual. They're getting in the zone, as they call it. And this guy would shimmy his ass a little bit. He would like, he'd do a little booty shake. And and everybody knew him for the booty shake before his free throw. His free throw percentages were in the upper 80s. Okay, he was 80 percent free throws and the coach, you know, people would make fun of it or, you know, in a fun way, they'd make fun of it. They joke about it and the shimmy shimmy. And uh, and the coach said, you know what, is there a way you can maybe shoot free throws without doing the ass shaking thing? Because it's kind of stupid. And and so he was shooting free throws just standing still and he wouldn't he missed part of his ritual. He still did the bounce, 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 um, tug on the ear, scratch the nose, bounce and shoot. But he wasn't doing the ass shaking. Well, guess what? His percentages dropped to about the mid fifties, <laughs> and the coach says, "Get up there and shake your ass, boy." <laughs> you know, and and you know, it didn't play out exactly like that, but in a sense, it did. Yeah. And so, it's finding their own pattern. And going back to answer your original question, is so I'll try to figure out where where their deficiency is at that moment in time. Everybody knows their solution. I truly believe that. It just sometimes we have to facilitate the right discussion to help them figure out the solution to their own problem. And no, if so we you mean they know the solution, but not necessarily consciously. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And so and sometimes kind of it's a little bit more subconscious. What was it you said? Everyone has the answer to the problems within themselves already. Something uh, like that. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And and then of course you know making it about them and discovering what their want is. Uh, and obviously removing any obvious blocks, you know, because we all, I think at any given point in time, we all have, um, some limiting beliefs and whether they're triggered by an external event or something recent that just happened or whether they're just complacency or whatever it is, everybody kind of gets that, that, uh, limiting belief every now and then that blockage that they hit that glass ceiling, so to speak. So I just help facilitate that conversation with them consciously and subconsciously um, to figure out, to help them to figure out how to remove it and how to get past it. Of course, there's other techniques that go on throughout that process, depending on the client. Um, but I use uh, I use a process that I've created that I, I think I've created. I don't know. Okay. Uh, and it's absolutely the best process out there. It's the only one I would use. 
<laughs> Just kidding. And here we go again. Yeah. The, it, and it's, you know, um, I, I call it the genie process. And, and really, it's nothing more than a silly game I play with them. I'm the genie. You just rub the lamp. Poof, here we are. Um, uh, you get three wishes. What are those wishes? And in discovering that, you know, what do you, why are you here? What are your wishes while you're here? You know, it's not for the winning lottery numbers. I know that. It's for, you know, what what are you here for? And then getting them to finally admit through a little bit of prodding, a little bit of coaching, a little bit of a little bit of pushing is that they want these things. That's why. Because a wish is much different than a want, isn't it? You know, I wish I could do this. I hope I can do this. Damn it, I want to do this and you're in my way, so get out of my way. Um, so I want them to fight the genie for it. And then they realize that I'm not the genie. They're the genie. They're getting in their own damn way. Get out of the way. Stop the limiting beliefs. Stop creating your own obstacles. Get out of your own way and just do what you know how to do. You know, it doesn't matter your hand is here or here. You know how to shoot a free throw. Just freaking shoot the free throw and stop with the limiting beliefs. Excellent. So, so, so there's a lot of that that goes on, a lot of banter and a lot of talking and a lot of conscious and subconscious communication and facilitation, I guess. Do you ever, whether it's with adults or um, younger, you know, kids or teenagers, reclines at all, do you ever um, use any of your magic knowledge and tricks at all within the therapeutic framework you know i do sometimes especially with with kids or adolescents and sometimes with adults and here's what i here's what i know about magic and i started magic you know i told you and then i was working a lot in the schools and i know schools at one point the funding wasn't there to hire a magician just to entertain to do a magic show but if you could inspire some sort of message and tie it into the curriculum or the school motto, say no to drugs or don't bully each other or stay in school, all those different things that they were promoting at the time. If you can make it a motivational message and have some magic to back it up, they could pay you. Um, so I learned a long time ago that yes, you can use magic to illustrate a point as long as the magic doesn't overshadow the point you're trying to illustrate. And so even just uh, you I'm sure you know the trick where uh, you take a cigarette and you put it in this tube and you put the cap on, you snap your fingers, you open the cap, you pour it out and nothing comes out. Well, I load a little tiny, those little tiny little micro cigarettes, the little tiny little ones. Oh, I load. And so the message is this. It's something simple. And I don't do it for every client, but just ones that are very visual. I'll say now. You know, what used to have a hold on you, which used to be in every waking thought and every visualization you ever saw was the cigarette. And then when you take it out of your view for just a second, just like you've erased a thought from your mind right now of smoking and you seal it away in the deepest parts of your mind where you don't have to go back and look at it anymore. Before you know it, almost instantly, it will vanish or at the very least shrink down to something so small that will no longer have a hold on you. So it was a visual that went along with really a description or a suggestion, even in the waking state. If you tap vanishing cigarette into a well, vanishing cigarette magic trick, or yep, you'll find it. Um, you, you, you'll find this because that's a great idea, a great example of how to use a magic trick with metaphor and people who know about NLP will notice that there was the links there. So visually as you put the lid on the tube, that's locking it in your mind and all mm. that kind of stuff. Excellent. So, so yeah, excellent. Could I, I do as well? I just wondered if could I still like to do the odd trick now and again? Yeah. And I'm sure. I think you you have some magic sites too, Jonathan. Magic websites. I'm sure that somewhere on JonathanRealMagic.com you could probably find that trick for sale. I don't sell the physical stuff. Oh, you don't, you don't sell tricks anymore? Okay. No, I thought no. at one time maybe you did. So I was giving you a little selfless promotion there. And so, Thank but you. if I were you, I'd add that to your website right now. <laughs> For two ninety nine, folks, ladies and gentlemen, you could buy this. You can own this very brand new cigarette right here. $2.99 plus $39.95 shipping and handling. Yeah. yeah. Excellent. 
Um, so we, we've gone just just gone over the hour. So that means I now have to ask you, I, because we're running out of time, the question that I finish off and ask everybody uh, each week. Um, sometimes we get very similar answers. Sometimes we get very different ones. Uh, that's one of the interesting things about these interviews, because people come from a different experiential background. Mm-hmm. So if somebody was to come and knock on your door tomorrow, they maybe just read a book on stage hypnosis or a book on hypnotherapy. And they said to you, Michael, I, I, I feel that I really want to become the best possible hypnotherapist and or stage hypnotist. Answer this uh, as you so desire, because you, you, you've got both backgrounds. What would your top three tips to set them on the path to success be? The top three tips would be this. Number one, get training from as many people as you can afford time-wise and money-wise because not any one person is everything to the whole profession. Number two is this. Uh, I would say um, practice all you – learn all you can and practice all you learn often. And number three – Always make sure that this is your true passion and uh, follow that passion. Don't have a plan B. Just never give up on plan A. I would say those would be my top three tips. Your third one there, it's weird. Uh, Not everyone's come out with that, but today, three of the four interviews I've put in the can today, not only did three of the people say the same thing, it's got to make sure it's your passion but they also said it as their third uh, in order. And I think the fact that that keeps coming up, that is so, so, so important that maybe those, if, if, if you find yourself as a therapist watching this thinking you've got more month left at the end of your money than you've got money left at the end of the month, maybe it is because you're not marketing as well as you could do. Or maybe it's because you don't truly, sincerely have complete, total passion for doing it. Perhaps it might be time to re-examine, re-examine and think about things. Um, yeah, I would advise you all to get a pad and a pen, either right now or set a time aside an hour where you can sit down watch this video interview again with michael and myself and this time take notes because there are lots of nuggets of wisdom and gems of insight and experience contained within the past hour uh michael please here tell everyone how they find out more about you can michael hear me oh michael's frozen I don't know if Michael is still there or not. So what I'm going to say is that below this video will be a link to Michael's website. Click on that link. Visit his website. Uh, If you go on Amazon, you will find, if you type in his name,